values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, happy Monday from the Mike Broomhead Show. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about this. I had a, a great time doing the interview with gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake. I wish uh, Representative, uh, Representative, I'm sorry, Secretary of State Hobbs had shown up. Um, the format would have been excellent. I've had great conversations with Katie Hobbs in the past. Um, I just wish she hadn't made that decision. To be very honest with you, I was looking forward to talking to both of them. And, and to be very honest, I prepared for a debate. Well, not just me, the whole team. We pre- prepared for a debate. We had the studio set up for three podiums, uh, well, actually two podiums, and then me in the middle at a table. Um, and, and, and the floor was all marked off. Everything in this studio lighting was all set for that. And then we set the stage up because the expectation was that the Secretary of State was not going to be there. And so we did have it set up for a one-on-one. But we were prepared and hoping for a debate. I had written debate questions specific to both candidates on the same topics. I ended up talking only with Carrie Lake on. Uh, but we had, I had hoped that she had be there, would be there. And, you know, I look forward to if we can get the Secretary of State on this show, I would love to ask her some of the same questions that I was able to ask um, Carrie Lake about. There were a multitude of topics. We started off talking about election integrity and denial. We then moved to the economy. We talked about education or border. And then we went on education. We didn't get to the topic of water um, because we just ran out of time. We had about 28 and a half minutes total. But it was uh, it was an I- interesting experience for me because as much as I feel like I'm fair, even though I, I, I will tell you where I stand on any issue, this, compl- this had nothing to do with me. Um, I wanted to not be a part of the story. I didn't want to at all. And I understood I would be beforehand. I, I, t- I talked it over with Clean Elections, the Citizens Clean Election Commission. Um, they were very supportive. And uh, I wanted to make sure they were satisfied that I was fair. I did not want to be a part of the story. And thankfully, I, I, as far as I can tell so far, I haven't been. But what should have been the story are the positions of gubernatorial candidates and on the important issues. And one of them was education. I, we had talked about this quite a bit. Election integrity, education expansion. We talked about the border. And one of the things that we need to discuss, I want you to hear one of the interesting stories, or I should say stories, one of the interesting comments was uh, made by Carrie Lake. And I asked her about this. When we, I, we talked about the border. She has made the commitment that she is going to, on the first day, declare an invasion at our southern border. She believes that under a constitution, she has a right to do that. And she is going to start protecting the border against the cartels and pushing back. So I raised the question about what about pushback? When Arizona got involved with SB 1070, which was I was a part of all of that happening. It was an immigration law that largely was upheld by by the uh, the Supreme Court of the United States. But there was huge backlash on what they said it was really intended to be. And we had cities and states saying we won't do business in Arizona. They were canceling things that was supposed to be detrimental to our economy. Whether it worked or not, I don't know. Whether it was detrimental to our economy, I don't know. But it was a big issue around the country. Going back in previous years to the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, which wasn't undertaken by the uh, by the state legislature. So then it was uh, the Super Bowl was pulled from us. So I asked Carrie Lake about that. I asked her about the possibility because she will have been sworn in three or four weeks before the Super Bowl is scheduled for Glendale, Arizona. What if the NFL 
jumps in and says, if you're going to start a war at the southern border, and I'm not going to be a war, but if you're going to militarize the southern border, if you're going to declare an invasion, um, we're out. We're going to pull out of Arizona. And I asked her if that concerned her. Now, the reason why I want you to hear this is because this the video of this answer has gone viral on, on social media. Are okay with fentanyl pouring across our border at a record level, killing our young people? Number one killer right now is fentanyl. 18 to 45. It's killing a generation of people. If the NFL is okay with that, then they got to do some soul searching. I don't think the NFL is that stupid. I really don't. So you so she went on to say that it wouldn't deter her whatsoever. She said, I don't answer to uh, the NFL. I answer to the people of Arizona. She was very emphatic that nothing is going to stop her from doing this um, and trying to stop the fentanyl that is crossing our border. We all understand, I think most of us understand, the majority of fentanyl that crosses our border is coming through ports of entry and not the open port parts of our border. But that also shows you we don't have the manpower the labor force at those ports of entries to appropriately sniff out those drugs as they cross our border. That's a big part of this. That is a big part of why this is an issue. And uh, and I, you know, I don't want to just get stuck on just the border issue, but it has been such a controversial issue, and it's hard to argue about how bad it is. It is it is horrible what's happening at our southern border. Um so I asked her about education, and one of the things that she thinks is necessary in order for schools to improve is we need to get raises into the hands of teachers. I think teachers should have a raise. How do we keep good teachers? That's the question I always get asked. And a lot of these problems are solved with great teachers. The way we keep good teachers is we pay them what they're worth. And right now, if you adjust teachers' inflation since 1970, adjusted uh, teachers, I should say, salary since 1970, adjust it for inflation. And this is before Joe Joe Biden's hyperinflation. They really haven't had a pay raise since 1970, even though they have had incremental pay increases. But the administrators have shot up. We have too many administrators, and they're making way too much money. No administrator should make more than a teacher in the classroom, except maybe the principal. We need to give our teachers a higher pay, but we also have to make sure they're teaching curriculum that, that makes sense. So her, she said, we can't keep throwing money at the problem. She started off the topic with that when I asked her about uh, spending in schools. But I went on to ask her, do you believe we spend too much money in schools? Can we give teacher? And she said no to that. She thinks that we are spending it in the wrong places. And I asked her, do you believe that you can get teacher raises with the current spending that we have? Will it? Do you? Will we have the money? I don't believe we do if we're, if we're getting the money into the teachers and into the classroom. We need to get rid of some of these administrators. We have way too many of them. The bloat is there. The bloat is real. But I really want to start churning out kids who are ready for the real world. If this is the last question, I want to mention how important my dual-track education plan is, which is after 10th grade, you decide if you want to go off and take that four-year college degree path, which is great, go for it. Or if you want to get trade skill training, vocational training, and career certification in high school we want our kids ready for that and she makes an excellent point it was the one answer she gave that i didn't expand on again i didn't want to jump into something that i've been defending um for a long time i wanted to wait until i talked about it on this show but i agree with her 100 percent. we are monolithic in what we do with children and counselors and preparing for the future if you look at what they do when they have days where kids are preparing for what they're going to do next it is about filling out pell grants and it's about filling out college paperwork and what you can do to start trying to get scholarships 
money or grant money or whatever else for college. Rarely do we see, if ever, rarely if ever do we see a child, a student in the 10th grade counseled on the possibility of going to a CTED, a career technical education district, going out there and learning a skill set. So by the time they graduate from high school, they are entering the workforce with a skill set that is absolutely in demand. And it's something we should be looking more at. And it's the one area where she talked about education that I thought to myself while she was saying it, this is, I hope people are listening to this. And, you know, that wasn't my job there. But this is that was an area that I really agreed with her about uh, and what she was saying. And again, I really wish um, the secretary of state had been there. I would love to have heard the secretary of state expand on what she thinks are the key issues in education and how we get to where we need to go. It's a big decision for voters in Arizona. This is a huge decision. Who will lead us at least for the next four years as our chief executive? And uh, I feel bad that Secretary Hobbs wasn't there. We did everything we could to get her there. Coming up in a moment, math scores have dropped in every state during the pandemic. We are going to revisit education next. And strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you spending some time with the show. Education, obviously, a frequent topic here on the show. It was a, it was a big topic with our conversation with Carrie Lake about the future of Arizona. And this, these are the issues. Again, we can continue to go down the road of the of the slams. The uh, the candidates calling each other extremists on abortion, um, and and extremists on other issues. And but when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, the reason why those conversations are important, like the one we had this weekend with Carrie Lake, is because the people of Arizona need to hear what a candidate will do if given the opportunity. This is an open seat. Our governor is termed out, which means this will be a first term for whichever one of these two wins that office. And if you are not in a format where it's a discussion, if it's just a campaign ad, and, and there's nothing wrong with those things. They're necessary. But a bumper sticker or a radio ad or a television ad only tells part of the story. Even an interview is sometimes difficult unless it's in a format where it is those specific questions. We got 30 minutes. Here we go. I wish it had been a debate because when you talk about education, Arizona falls into the same uh, the same demographic, the same test scores as the rest of the country. Every single state in the union dropped in math scores during the pandemic. And in a digital world that we live in, when we talk about those that are supremely educated, the United States has fallen further and further behind. Instead of being the best educated uh, uh, citizenry in the, in the world, we are not even close. And we're falling further behind. That should worry all of us. All of us. What do we do individually as a state? How do we change that? And it was pretty well laid out by Carrie Lake where she would spend money, where she would want to do things. She talked about the expansion of the ESA program. Uh, I want you to – this one is her position, which I agree with, but um, I would love to have heard – this is where a debate would have been a better format, where you would have an opportunity to hear have Carrie Lake say this. With ESA for all, when a parent can say, I don't like what they're teaching at this school, we're moving our child to this school, or we're going to homeschool them. Those schools, our government-run schools, are going to very quickly have to change course and up the curriculum and make for better educated kids. 
Now we give at the time at that time the voters of Arizona should be hearing from Katie Hobbs why she is against ESA expansion. Nothing it had nothing to do with me in this event. I wasn't there to agree with Carrie Lake. I pushed her for answers. She said we can't throw money at the problem. I asked her if we spent too much money in education. I, I, I wanted to make sure that you could understand exactly where she was coming from and why. And I would have loved to have given Katie Hobbs an opportunity in that format to say to people why she believes ESA expansion is bad for, for, for children. I just I think that it is an amazing leap forward and other states are going to start to mirror this because giving the power back to the parents to take those tax dollars to go into whatever school they want. And the funny thing about it is, well, private schools and parochial schools, but if they're performing better, why wouldn't they accept a student that is academically superior and give that child a chance at a much better life? That's what it's all about. What they were doing with the former way the ESA program worked when it was called the Empowerment Scholarship, um, what they did with those is a parent with a special needs child, and it, uh, it, it varied based on the need of the child. But they were able then to take those education dollars and funnel them anywhere they saw fit that they thought their child would best uh, grow in education. And there were parameters of what you could spend it on, but they got to choose the way a child was educated, where a child was educated, how a child was educated, because they better understand the specific needs of their special needs child. Well, we should say the same thing now. Everything changes. Isn't it interesting how we all embrace technological advancements and changes in things? Now, it's tough for some people. They don't like change. But as a society, we have watched how things have changed over the years and how communications have gotten Gotten better and, and all of that has really improved our lives. They are fighting to keep education exactly the same as it's always been. Cookie cutter districts with a school board that's set up this way, with a superintendent that's set up this way, and we're going to buy them. And the big technological advances have been they've gotten away from paper textbooks and they have gone to sometimes laptops or, pa- or, or tablets. The problem with that is not all kids can have the internet at their house or afford it, but they can get the tablets with the textbooks on them. That's been the big technological advancement in schools for the most part. But we're having classrooms the same way. Well, now there's homeschool. And micro schools and charter schools and private schools and parochial schools. And parents want to say, if my child isn't thriving in your school, I'm going to pull him or her out of that school and put her where him or her where she thrives or he thrives. And what is wrong? There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. And if we don't do something, why would we expect the results to be any different than they are now? It just isn't going to change. And I hope I really do hope that it does. I hope that we see significant changes, but I don't know how it's going to happen. Uh, America sets another record for revenue in tax revenue in the fiscal year of 2022. We're going to talk exactly what that means. All that's coming up here in just one moment.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. A big deficit reduction, which uh, we've got to recognize that the the, uh, United States Treasury Department uh, reported Friday the annual budget deficit fell to $1.375 trillion. So we still, bad news is, we are still uh, at a deficit in the U.S. economy of over a trillion dollars a year. But it is cut almost in half uh, from the, or yeah, just about in half from the 2.7 for fiscal year 2021. We know COVID and the outlay and the things that happened there. So the good news is they are spending less money in the federal government. But a large part of that has to do with tax revenue grew by 21 percent from 2021, reaching $4.896 trillion. We set a record for revenue. This is the conversation I've had many times and we should continue to have. It is my um my belief and the belief of many, if you go out and read, that the United States government does not have an income problem. It has a spending problem. And I've respectfully used a couple of different individuals as examples of that. And I mean this respectfully. Michael Jackson was one of them uh, because of how famous he is and when he went bankrupt. And the same thing with Elton John, who was still alive and one of the best entertainers in the world. And uh, I don't say this to embarrass him, but he's talked about this. You're talking about someone who is immensely wealthy but was actually able to spend more than he brought in. Well, if that doesn't explain the USA, I don't know what does. And what he was able to do is get his fiscal house in order, not only because was he sitting on a bunch of money. Not only did Elton John have millions of dollars on hand. He was still making millions because his music continued to make him money. His concert tours and his appearances continued to make him money. So um, that is the United States in a nutshell. That's the analogy. We are a wealthy country and we create wealth every year, record revenue every year. The fact that we are still at a deficit, good news that it was cut the way it was. I think it's great news that it's been cut. But the fact that we are still at a $1.375 trillion deficit shows you that this nation does not have an income problem. It has a spending problem. Every one of us has gone through it, I would imagine, in our life at one time or another. When you are figuring out that you don't have enough money to pay your bills, it's one of two things. It could be a combination of the two things. But it's either I don't make enough money and I've got to either get a raise from my boss or get a second job or I spend too much money. I've got to rein in my budget. Now, at times, let's be honest, it's both. Here in America, it's not an income problem. We, we we spend money. We have so much wasteful spending, and no one does anything about it. These pet projects, and I just had a great conversation with someone this weekend that is uh, want, is learning and, and is an adult that is learning about the system of government and wants to learn about campaigns and wants to learn about candidates and truly is kind of a clean slate when it comes to issues as far as are you a Democrat, are you a Republican, what are the issues that matter to you? And, and, and one of the things they talked about was not understanding. All you see are these attack ads without any specifics, and it's hard to get your arms around what's out there and what's really happening. And the idea that we're going to raise taxes only on the wealthy and then it's okay, that half the country thinks, yeah, as long as we're doing it on the wealthy, getting them to pay their fair share. And that's one of the things we're hearing from the White House right now. The White House is saying that, you know, if the Republicans, this is the the best they can come up with, and this is my opinion, in these midterm elections is, yeah, it's bad now, but it's going to be worse if the Republicans take office. They're going to give tax cuts to the rich and they're going to screw over the middle class. 
And it's always that kind of scare tactic when the fact of the matter is if you go back four years, when the president talks about good news in the economy right now, you go back just a couple of years, go back to three years ago, four years ago pre-pandemic, and you look at what the economy was doing. And for that four-year period, the gasoline was under $4 or under $3 a gallon. This is the part of the undeniable truth that's out there. I am not someone that defends former President Trump. I don't care about Donald Trump. I know that's a horrible thing for a Republican to say. What I mean by that is he can defend himself. I'm talking about what I saw happening in my life and the lives of the people around me. When my kids, who struggle as single moms, were paying less than $3 a gallon for gasoline. When eggs weren't almost $7 a dozen. When the things you absolutely need to feed your family were reasonably priced and people were making more money. I want to go back to that. I want to go back to that. There is no coincidence that in the week that that the week after this president took office, gas prices began to climb. It isn't a coincidence. You can call it Putin's price hike. You can do all of these things that are true that happened that made the problem worse. But by the time we got to Putin's price hike, gas prices were far in excess of three dollars in some places, four bucks a gallon. It was already climbing and climbing and climbing because of policies. Now, if you agree with the policies, that's fine. But at least acknowledge the fallout, acknowledge the downside, acknowledge the unintended consequences or the known consequences. The United States Treasury took in 21% more money. They are setting records, and that's not an anomaly. That has been happening over and over and over again. So if the United States Treasury is setting records with revenue, why are we talking about raising taxes on anyone at a time when everybody is hurting? Well, rich people aren't hurting. They're okay. If their businesses are not making money, if their businesses and their profits are falling, they're hurting. Well, the oil companies are making record profits. The oil companies are being run out of business. I'm not here to defend one company over another. I'm here to talk about overall, as a society, who we are. And if you're going to live in a world that says, I just want rich people to pay more money, even if it doesn't benefit me at all, I just want to see them, then you are a punish the rich person. I've never been that way. Never. There are greedy rich people out there. There's no doubt about it. There are Ebenezer Scrooges everywhere. But there are greedy people that are poor as well. There are people that are robbing the welfare system. There are people out there that are stealing from each other. There are people out there that are doing the wrong thing that don't make a lot of money. Just like I have friends who don't have a lot of money that would give you the shirt off their back. Friends that lost everything in Hurricane Ian that are still out there trying to help each other survive even though they don't have much for themselves. Just like there are wealthy people. And I wish you could experience what I've experienced when it comes to that. What I've witnessed, not experienced, but I've witnessed where there are people here that realize that they have benefited greatly when it comes to wealth, that these are people that are supremely wealthy people. And they have decided on two things. Number one, I'm going to spend my later years in life giving my money away and, 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 and empowering people and making people's lives better. And the other thing is that I'm going to use whatever lessons I've learned 
in my time in business. And I'm going to pass that on as an entrepreneur to young entrepreneurs so that maybe they don't make the same mistakes I made, that they can get gain their wealth faster, that they can grow faster. And I've seen it happen so many times. The idea that people in, in working class neighborhoods are more compassionate and benevolent than people in Paradise Valley or North Scottsdale just isn't true. And we've got to stop with class warfare in this country and do what's right for the country as a whole. Why would any American look at this and say, hang on a minute. You mean to tell me that the government has taken in 21% more tax revenue this year than last year? We're still at a $1.3 trillion deficit, and they still want to take more money out of the American economy. How does that make sense? That's where I stand on taxation. It's necessary, but it should be as small as possible. We should be forcing the government to cut spending, not raise revenue. That's my speech for today. Tomorrow, or tomorrow. In just a moment, we'll talk about people protecting the vote and intimidating voters. A great conversation with the county recorder about what's happening at ballot drop-off boxes. That's going to happen coming up here in just a moment. You're listening to continuing Arizona votes coverage of the 2022 election with Mike Broomhead. Hey, thanks for being here. Had a great conversation this morning with County Recorder Stephen Richard from Maricopa County. We talked about a couple of things about early ballots being counted, and uh, they have about 200,000 ballots that are already in that are ready to be counted. They begin counting them today. They've been prepping them for the counting, making sure that there's only one vote uh, per voter with these envelopes, making sure they match signatures and having them get ready to be separated from the envelopes and then run through the tabulation machines with bipartisan um, uh, viewing, I guess was the way you would call it, a, a team um, we also talked about what's happening at the ballot drop boxes, and I didn't really intervene too much in the conversation, but I do want to address this on a couple of different levels. Um, I understand and respect, and I've been respectful about the people that believe that the election was stolen or rigged in 2020. I don't agree with it. Um, I don't believe it was, but I understand that there are some people out there that genuinely believe that the election was stolen, and they have a right to their belief. What my problem is is that you are making everyone look bad when you are watching ballot drop boxes, and you're making a circus out of it, and you're showing up in tactical gear. Some of the things that have been said on social media by these keyboard warriors. I don't care what people say about me. I actually laugh at it. I actually had a really good time uh, when it came to the conversation with Carrie Lake. Um, there were some clever people. I, mean is funny so to me sometimes. I know I'm twisted. But on social media, I don't take any of you seriously. I don't know you. You don't know me. So it doesn't matter to me what you think about me or say about me. And if it's funny, I will acknowledge, hey, that was really funny. And there were a couple of comments that as mean-spirited as they probably were, were very funny about the conversation I had with Carrie Lake before I had that conversation. So I'll give you credit. Some of the comments were very funny. But what's being said about members of the media that are reporting on these ballot drop box locations and the watchers? Um, threats, I mean outright threats toward people that probably are meant as nothing more than just idiots online that have no self-control because they are anonymous. Um, there's nothing more cowardly than that. It makes me crazy. I know what a hero looks like. I've seen them. I know what it looks like to be to watch somebody in a uniform with a badge on that cannot speak their mind. 
somebody that is bound by law and by uh, their own oath that if you are in trouble, they will defend you, that they will run into a dangerous situation to save you, whether they know you or they don't know you or they agree with you or they don't agree with you. That's their job, and they do it quietly, and they do it without reservation. You don't see them going online and telling everybody what they're going to do to criminals. We, we don't have smack talk between law enforcement or the military and the criminals in our society or the enemy across the battlefield. But the people that are doing this are just keyboard warriors, and I'm not saying this to be inflammatory. I want them to stop. You know, I'm somebody that didn't agree that the election was stolen. But you are feeding into the crazy narrative, the narrative of people on the opposite side of this that don't believe that the election was stolen or that do believe that the ones that don't believe it was stolen. The narrative about the ones that do is that they're all just like you're portraying yourself to be on social media. You're looking for a civil war. You're out there in tactical gear, bandanas over your faces, intimidating voters, following people, taking pictures of license plates. Come on. I mean, you are making everybody, everybody that believes the election was stolen look like you. That's my first problem with it. My second problem with it is here we go again today in St. Louis. We've got another school shooting. A 20-year-old young man murdered some people at a school. I am one of the biggest Second Amendment advocates you're ever going to hear on the radio. And I'm defending the Second Amendment all the time about how we get the hands, guns out of the hands of people that shouldn't have them instead of going after legal gun owners. And then you got people walking around, ballot drop box, ballot drop boxes. What do you need tactical gear for? If that isn't a form of intimidation, I don't know what is. It's absolutely, it's buffoonery is what it is. Just knock it off. You're going to sit out there in a lawn chair on a pizza and make a fool of yourself and take pictures when there's already live streaming video at all the ballot box, drop box locations, the two of them that there are. That's your business. That's your right. And I don't want to take that right away from you. No one should. You got a First Amendment right. Express yourself, whether I agree with it or disagree with it. But when you start showing up in tactical gear, when it's nothing more than intimidation, you're going to flex your muscle and tell everybody how tough you are. Oh, my gosh. It's just – it's infuriating because we're better than this. We all are better than this on every side of this argument. You've got reasonable people on both sides of this issue, and instead of – and it's an uphill battle for anybody that believes the election was stolen. It's an uphill battle for them to tell the world they're reasonable and their reasons in their mind that they believe it was stolen. It's an uphill battle, and you're making it harder. Now, I'm not one of them. You're not doing this to me. I've been very vocal on where I stand on the 2020 election. But I know a lot of very good, very reasonable, respectable, respectful people that believe the 2020 election was stolen or at least was tampered with. And they are all being categorized as people like you're portraying yourself to be. Tactical gear, Civil War ready patriots that want to fight. And what you're doing is perpetuating that days before an election when people in your political party are razor thin margins of error in winning an election. And that's the image that you're portraying. And they're going to connect them to the candidates, candidates to you. And you should think about it. You just should think about it. And I hope people do. It, it just it, it's it makes me angry. I, I think you can tell that. 
Um, we're going to talk about the border just after 11, conversation with Carrie Lake, but also the state of Arizona suing the federal government. Next.